All right, good afternoon. Hope you guys are doing well. You got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 18 with me. Matthew chapter 18. We have been in a series of the parables, and uh, the parables are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus used parables, and he spoke these truths to his disciples in parables to uh, kind uh, to make them seek after the truth, to uh, make them understand deep biblical principles through an earthly story. And uh, we have read through several of them. They've been really, really great. And even this one tonight is probably one we can all relate to, something that we all uh, have to deal with on a daily basis. And uh, we're going to talk about forgiveness. And you say, well, Pastor Ted, forgiveness. I mean, we're here. We're Christians. We're church family. We're the redeemed. What in the world would we have to talk about forgiving one another for? Forgiveness of people. You know, we're walking out, uh, we're walking out God's truth. Well, fact of the matter is we all make mistakes. We all are sinners. And there are times when we're going to hurt and offend others. And there are times when others are going to hurt and offend us. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. If you're a brother or sister in Christ, you will be offended. There is no doubt about that. So the question is not if you will be offended. It's what you will do when you are offended. And uh, you might even been offended tonight. Maybe you're offended by something that I say. Or maybe you was offended by somebody took your parking spot. Or somebody sitting in your seat. Uh, you know, we could get offended by a lot of different things. But... We have to learn as Christians how to deal with forgiveness. If you don't learn how to deal with for, uh, forgiveness, then you will have a joyless Christian life. That's what it would be. It would be a joyless Christian life because we know, and I've said this many times, that you cannot be right with God and wrong with people. You have to be right with people to be right with God. God loves you. He loves people. And when we're wrong with God's people or we're wrong with one another, it's not very joyful. It's not very peaceful. You will not be uh, having, living out God's purpose and plan for your life because of unforgiveness. And so the question is, how are we to respond? How are we to respond when someone hurts us, when someone offends us? Well, Matthew chapter 18, as we look to this uh, parable, I want to set it into context a little bit. And this uh, chapter in Matthew, he tells the disciples how they can enter the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of Christ was going to be much different than what they see in the world, much different than what they see in the law, much different than what they see in the temple. It's this new kingdom uh, that is called the kingdom of heaven, and, and he deals with things in different ways, talks about conflict a little bit. He talks about it in a corporate setting, talking about what you do in conflict in church and how a church handles conflict, which is also very important for us to just remember this as we study the Bible, as we think about context. And we hear scriptures from the Old Testament, or we may even hear scriptures from the New Testament, and we might want to try to apply them personally, but they're not meant to be applied personally. There were laws and there was uh, actions given in the Old Testament in a national setting. Um, how you were to treat offenders uh, that break the law has a certain outcome. Now, personally, we are not to respond to people that way, but in a national setting, in a kingdom or in a governmental setting, when someone breaks the law, there is a physical punishment that should be happening to the law. 
So Jesus didn't come to preach and say, no matter what anyone does to society or break the law or crime, no one should ever punish them. No one should ever put them in jail. No one should ever give them life sentences or all the rest of the stuff. This is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about how you deal with personal conflict. How you deal with personal conflict on a personal level. And and Christ comes and he's telling us uh, here as he's working with his disciples uh, in verse 21. As we think about this, Peter comes up and he always gets a bad rap. But really, Peter was just the mouthpiece of the group. He was the one that was the leader. He would go back to talk to Christ about what the disciples were talking about in private. And so in verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus and he says this. He says, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall, I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So he comes to him and he says, listen, if my brother offends me, should I forgive him seven times? And if you think about it, in the religious leaders of that day, three was the only required. Three times, it was like three strikes and you're out. So Peter felt like, well, if I doubled it and added one more and said, I'm so righteous and I have this uh, such forgiving heart that if I have the standard of doubling it plus one, look how loving I am. Look how willing to forgive I, forgive I am. Is that okay with you, Jesus? Is this what you're talking about in your kingdom? And Jesus responds with an outstanding answer, an astounding answer. In verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Now, if you think about it, just pure mathematical um, facts, that's 490 times. And yes, I got my degree from a school in Alabama, so I used a calculator on that, all right? But 490 times, all right, Jesus used this number, but it wasn't just a number for you to count that off or tick it down. It was an exaggerated number. It was a hyperbole. A hyperbole is an exaggerated point or an exaggerated number to get across a point. And this is what he's saying. He's like, this is something that's beyond the limit. Like, if your brother or sister in Christ offends you and they are repentant, they come to you and they ask for forgiveness, you're not to harbor these hatred feelings in your heart and bring them up every time there's a new offense. Like, you've already asked me this four times or three times or two times or 50 times. The principle is clear. If your brother or sister asks you for forgiveness, you give them forgiveness just as Christ has given forgiveness to you. As we as Christians, that's what he was saying. Us as Christians, those who are disciples of Christ, it's not three strikes you're out. It's not 490 times and we still have harboring hate in our heart. And we can't wait until we get to that number to be able to mark you off our list. No, what Jesus is getting to is the heart. He's getting to our heart. True forgiveness is in the heart. It begins in the heart. It ends in the heart. It's a work of the Lord. And Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, it's not a number. It's not meeting a requirement or satisfying a certain law. It is something that is of the heart. And you are to forgive those and hold that offense not against them any longer. No longer to hold that offense against them. And if you just think about it, and practically in life, this goes a long way in helping you in a lot of areas. I think of just one area in your marriage. Uh, If you are married, you know you make a lot of mistakes. And if your spouse is here, I'm sure they'd say amen, right? And we make a lot of mistakes. We say a lot of things we don't mean. We do a lot of things that we shouldn't do. 
And, and if you sit there and every time they do it, you just count it up and count it up and say, this is the hundredth time or fiftieth time. Or you say, you always do this. You never do that. Your heart has never truly given forgiveness. You have bitterness in the root of your heart. And that root of bitterness uh, will make everything you do bitter. No peace, no joy, none of those things. I heard of a story of a man and woman who went to their pastor for some marriage counseling. And the man sat down and the pastor said, well, what's your problem? And he said, well, every time we get into a fight, my wife gets historical. And he says, you mean hysterical? And he goes, no, historical. She brings up everything I've ever done wrong since we got married. <laughs> it's just, and every time you think about this, we shouldn't be historical. We should have this forgiveness, this standard in our heart. When we come to forgiveness, we forgive someone and we do it. And the kingdom of Christ and our reaction is to be, we completely forgive that person. I'm sure maybe like you tonight, you were, they, the disciples were astounded by this. They just couldn't believe it. They were like, there's a law, there is a standard, and when someone offends you or does it, we are to keep the law. But they were, they were astounded. They were shocked. And I'm sure they had a puzzled look on their face. They were like, what is this guy talking about? This is impossible. Like, where in the world does he get this from? So, Jesus teaches them a parable. And it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. We're going to talk about it tonight. We're going to start in verse 23. I got quite a bit of verses to read all the way down to the first 35. So bear with me. So if you got a Bible, you can follow along. I read from the New King James Version just because I've done a lot of memory work in the New King James Version. I did it through seminary. I learned a lot of scripture through it. I like it for a lot of things. Um, I'm not saying other versions are bad. But New King James Version is what I usually preach out of because I have a lot of memory work done in there and have a lot of uh, things done in there. So if you're version may read a little different than this, but here's what the New King James Version said. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children, and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So then when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you of all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now, 
those are pretty tough words. You know, and I, I love when people say that Christ really didn't say a lot of things and he was, didn't really draw lines in the sound. There were some gray areas, what he said. I haven't found any gray areas in what Christ says. None. He is very clear. He is very direct. And in this parable, he's very, very direct. And he begins by the basis of saying the forgiveness that we should extend others begins with God's forgiveness of us. And think about that. He says here in 18, Matthew 18, that this master had a servant that owed him a lot of money. The Bible, several years ago when they calculated it out, said it was worth some millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. So obviously it was a large sum of money to be paid to the master. And this servant was not able to pay it. So he said, you'll pay with your life and your wife and your kid's life, all of them. You will sell them and you will repay this debt to get it back because this is what you owe. So the man begged and he begged with him and said, give me patience. And yet every there was nothing but an empty promise. There was no way the servant could ever repay the king these millions of owed. But the king decided to take pity on him and cancel his debt. Now, if you think about that. Is that not a great picture of salvation? Is that not a great picture of us in our sin who had violated God's righteous standards and there was no way we could ever satisfy God's holy standard for our lives? We had sin in our life. We had missed the mark. We had sinned. We have willfully sinned. We were chosen. To, we chose to sin. We were born a sinner. We had a lot of sin on our behalf that we could never, ever, ever pay. But when we called out on the name of God in his mercy, in his grace, he decided to forgive us. He decided not on our behalf, but based upon his behalf, that he would cancel our debt, that he would wash our sins away. And for us as Christians, when we think about forgiveness, we should begin with what Christ and what God has forgiven us for. And when we set the standard for the forgiveness that we're going to extend to other people, it begins with understanding the forgiveness that was already given to us in God. And for us as Christians, if we think about it, when we hold other people to a standard that God did not hold us to, how fair is that really? I mean, how equal is that? It is not equal. And God loves us and he had pity on us and we were undeserving. And so God says, first, look at the forgiveness that God has extended you. And then it causes you to look at your forgiveness of others. In several scriptures, one in particular says, as Christ has forgiven you, you are to forgive others. And for us as Christians, when we consider how God has forgiven us, how Christ has forgiven us, how Christ continues to forgive us, how God has shown mercy and grace, that that is the basis of how we can forgive. How we truly can forgive other people begins with the forgiveness of God. And then it moves on to the forgiveness of others. He continues with a story. He says, this guy who was just forgiven of this debt goes out and finds another guy who owed him hundreds of dollars. So millions of dollars and then hundreds of dollars. And this guy goes to him and he says, you pay me my money. And the guy couldn't pay him. So he grabbed him and began to choke him. 
And he says, you pay me what you owe me. And he says, I will. And the guy pleads for mercy. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Can you have pity on me? And the man looks to him and he looks to uh, the man and he says, I'll pay it all back. And the forgiven servant responded, not with grace, not with mercy, but he tells him, you're going to send you. He sends him into prison until you can pay the debt. And, and, and if you think about it, isn't this just a little ast- astonishing? Is this not just a little bit hypocritical? Is this not just a little bit of forgiving all that what just happened to this man? Jesus is illustrating this point for us to look to that and say, in light of what God forgives us for, how in the world can we hold other people to this standard in light of what Christ or what God has done for us? And if you think about it, for us as Christians, this parable is, uh, is one that should pierce our hearts. It should make us search our hearts. Are we holding people that have wronged us to a standard that God did not hold us to? Are we extending forgiveness and mercy and grace to people like God has extended grace and mercy to us? Or are we holding back and grabbing people by the throat and holding them to a standard that we could not keep of ourselves? And you say, well... That's a good question, but I'm not so sure about that. Well, make sure as we think about that, are we the unforgiving servant? Have we been forgiven an absolutely enormous debt? And yet someone has sinned against us, a friend, a neighbor, a brother, a sister in Christ, and he sinned against us, and yet we have uh, had held our unforgiveness and mercy and grace to them in spite of the great mercy and grace that God has shown us. And we sometimes are like the unforgiving servant. Sometimes we uh, have to ask ourselves with the grudges and the resentments that we have for years and years and years. Listen, there are Christians who haven't spoken to their mom or their dads or their friends or their family for years and years and years. And listen, I'm not saying everything has to be restored. That's a different question. The restoration happens at another time, but the forgiveness happens in our heart that we no longer hold that offense responsible in our life towards that person. And we have no longer that bitterness and that anger in our hearts towards that person. And many, many of us sit around and we are mad and upset over things that happened years and years and years ago. And I've learned, especially being a pastor, that most people don't think about this until it's too late. Until life has already passed and then someone's going to pass away or somebody's going through a very difficult time in their life and maybe a separation is happening and they finally get to the root of the matter and they say, I should have forgiven you years and years ago. And that's what God is saying very plain and very clear for us. Forgive us even as we have prayed, as we pray in the Lord's Supper. Forgive us of our debts as we have been as we also forgive our debtors. Think about that. That's exactly the related, how the God's forgiveness is related to the forgiveness we should extend to brothers and sisters in Christ. And for us as Christians, we should make that connection between God's forgiveness and our forgiveness. And it's a great question for us to even look to how we forgive people compared to how God forgives people and see if we're being a good witness to how God has given us forgiveness. And as the Lord has forgiven me, I also must forgive others. 
Let me give you a few scriptures. Ephesians 4, 32. You can jot this down. You can look at it later. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3, 13. Bear with each other and forgive what other grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In Mark eleven twenty five, Jesus said, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Now think about that. Those are some great scriptures. And when we even, like I just said, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. You think about it. Think about life with no forgiveness. Think about a life if God never chose to forgive us. If we lived a life that we were never able to be forgiven by God, how terrible would that be? And then if we extended, if we extended unforgiveness to other people, instead of extending forgiveness, how full of life is conflict and hatred and bitterness and discord and anger? But on the other hand, think about how forgiveness has changed your life. It brings love. It brings peace. It brings harmony. It brings unity. And, and for all these things and over and over. So I was reading this and it was a great Christian article uh, by James Dobson. Anybody know who James Dobson was or is? He, he's focused on the family. He's a great, great uh, writer and speaker. And he says, he answered this question. Someone asked him, so how do I know I've forgiven those who've sinned against me? Pretty, pretty honest question, right? How do I know it? Well, he said, first, ask yourself the question, do you desire them to be punished? <laughs> All right? Do you desire them to be punished? Now, that's what this man in the parable wanted to do, right? He looked at the man, he choked him, and then he wanted him to go to prison. And he, he said he wanted the man to suffer. And, and for us, as we see when someone sins against us and we have that reaction to them, we want to pay them back. But as we know, the Lord says, vengeance is mine, or that God is just, he will pay back to those. But if we want our own personal judgment, our own personal judge, uh, punishment towards someone else, and you think about it, do we trust in God or do we trust in ourselves? Uh, this week, I was praying through some, through some things, and God brought a scripture, Exodus 14, 14, to me. In Exodus 14, 14, the story of Moses bringing out the nation of Israel to the Red Sea. As you know, he was trapped against the Red Sea. And so as he was standing there, he uh, has to make a decision about, is he going to obey man or is he still going to trust in God? And the scripture says, the Lord will fight for you. You just need to keep your mouth shut. That's what he tells him. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You just be quiet. And I thought to myself, man, you want to talk about faith? That is faith to stand there and not even verbalize a complaint, a hatred saying, or, or, say, or anything. It just says, the Lord will fight for you and just keep your mouth shut. Just be quiet. And listen, sometimes that's all we can do. Sometimes you might see someone and you might just say, the vengeance is the Lord's and keep your mouth shut. Like, like when we have unforgiveness in our heart, we want to punish. We want to inflict pain. And sadly, in my life, 
when I've harbored a little bit of unforgiveness, usually the person prospers and even makes me madder, right? So I have to completely stop. Like, man, I was hoping they like, you know, their car got a flat tire or something, you know, and they got a new car, you know, or they got a new place or whatever. But, but if you think about it, in our hearts, we, we must get to the point that we trust in God so much that rather than personal retaliation, we trust in God to make the records right. And we trust in him and we keep our mouth shut. That's tough. I know that's tough. That is easy preaching and hard living. But that's where we must get. If we truly believe God's word and we truly believe what God teaches us, we must get to the point where we say we trust God more than anything else. And we will keep silent. We do not want to punish someone personally ourselves. Secondly, he says, do you expect repayment of their debt? So not only do you want to inflict punishment on them, but do you want them to do something for you as a repayment? Uh, in here, he says, you owe me. You want to, and, said, and put it in our language, we want people to get, we want to get even with people. We want to settle the score. We want to, we want to justify ourselves. Those are all debt uh, statements. And apologies come along with debt statements. Uh, and as well, as we look to this, Matthew 5, 44 and 45 says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who have done wrong to you. And you are not looking for a, an apology or you're not looking for a paid uh, payment for their debt or some sort of social approval. We are to not expect repayment, to not expect to punish them. Thirdly, he says that you have kept a list of what they have done to you. And this is where we talked a little bit earlier about being historical. This man knew exactly how much this man owed him. He knew it to the T. And a lot of times, if you just sit down and talk about somebody, most of the time we could tell you every single thing they've ever done wrong to us to the T. We got it down to a list. And so he said that's a good question to start with. If you have forgiven someone or you have not, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, you want them to be punished. You want to be repaid and you have a list or a ledger of how many things they've done wrong to you. So when we think about it, how do we love those people? Proverbs 10, 12, love covers over all wrongs. First Peter 4, 8, love covers a multitude of sins. I love that scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, one of my favorites. Love keeps no records of wrong. I think about that. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You can't obey Jesus and still keep records of wrongs and walking around with unforgiveness and bitterness in your life. You can't do it. You can't be right with God and be wrong with people. And, and here he tells us not only just to look at that, but then he gives us a warning. In verse 34, he says, of Matthew chapter 18, he says, And his master was angry. This is the original master that looked to the man that had required this man to be sent to prison. Now the original master was angry, and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you from his heart if he, if, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You think about it. I'm not real sure what torturers are, but I don't want to meet them. All right. But if I had to put some names to torturers, I think it would be like bitterness, conflict, 
depression, physical troubles, relationship problems. And, and, and once Satan gets a foothold in our life, it tortures our life. Because like I said, we can't live a peaceful life. We can't have unity. We can't have agreement. We can't have joy. And for us as a Christian, when we look to these things, we, we look to the way that we have been forgiven and how we forgive others. And Jesus was needling. He was poking at his, at his disciples just as he pokes at our hearts tonight. And he asks us, are we forgiving others like Christ has forgiven us? Or are we holding people to a standard that God did not hold us to? And, and yet in our hearts and maybe in our life, there's some bitterness and we don't know where it's from. I told you the story about the old man that the little grandson came in and put some Limburger cheese on his, on his mustache, you know. I didn't even know what Limburger cheese until I read the story. But, you know, Limburger cheese stinks really, really bad. Uh, I guess it may be like blue cheese nowadays, right? But in Limburger cheese on his mustache. And so the, the grandpa woke up and he smelled. He goes, man, this living room stinks. And he went in the kitchen and he smelled. He goes, Man, this kitchen stinks. And he went outside and he smelled. And he goes, man, the whole world stinks, right? And was it the room? Was it the kitchen? Was it the outside? No, what was it? It was the Limburger cheese in his mustache, right? That's the way it is with us. You might be here and you might say, man, my marriage stinks. My kids stink. My life stinks. My house stinks. My car stinks. All these things stinks. And you know what really stinks? It's not all those things. Guess what it is? It's your heart. It's your heart because you got unforgiveness in your heart and you have no peace and you have no joy and you're harboring some sort of bitterness in your life and it's eating you up. And the funny part is, like I said, usually the people that you're mad at or you're unforgiving towards, they go on with life, but it really tears you up on the inside. Someone said that uh, unforgiveness is like drinking acid and expecting the other person to die. That's the way it is. Listen, we don't have to wait for an apology. We don't have to wait for restitution. We don't have to wait for them to make it right. We choose in our heart who we hold responsible for who has offended us and who hasn't. And we have the choice to give, uh, to grant forgiveness. And for us as Christians, we are to mimic or we are to model the forgiveness that God has given to us over and over and over again. So there's a story about Corey Ten Boone, who was a great, uh, famous, as you know, uh, 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 missionary. And she said, during World War II, the Nazis sent thousands of people to these concentration camps. One of them there was named Corey Ten Boone. We know uh, some of you who's been around Christian life, you know a lot of her sayings and a lot of her things that she has written. But her parents died in the camps, and she her, and her 11 sisters endured numerous indignities and humiliations at the hand of their captors. But when the war was over and she was freed, she found she was still imprisoned by her hatred of those who had hurt her family and her and her family. After much tears and prayers, she finally succeeded in forgiveness. She was so successful that she began to speak at churches across Europe, trying to help others accomplish the same objective. Over and over again, she would forgive one person, then another of what they had done to her. But there was one individual who she had great difficulty in forgiving. In fact, she spent several sleepless nights struggling with the memories of this man. And she went in to speak to her preacher and he thought about it for a moment and he pinpointed and then he pointed to the bell rope hanging in the foyer. He said, you see that bell rope? And he asked, every Sunday 
They pull on that rope and the, the, that rings the bell, announcing to the community it's time for church, it's time for worship. And as he pulls the rope, the bell dings and it dongs and it back and forth. And eventually he lets go of the bell rope and the, the bell still swings and it still rings, but it gets slower and slower and weaker and weaker until eventually it doesn't ring anymore. And he said, I believe the same thing is true with forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope and we no longer swing the rope, tugging at our hatred and our grievances. And it slowly and surely begins to become less and less and less until eventually it will slow down to where you can completely forgive someone. And he asked her, you have to let go of the rope. And you think about in our life, we have pain, we have heartache, we have people who's done us wrong, but are you still swinging the rope? Maybe it's a former spouse, maybe it's a former child, maybe it's a former teacher, former family member. And when you see that someone in the grocery store, or you see someone that you see in another place, you get really upset. Just hearing their name sets you on edge. And we need to let go of the rope. That's what this is all about. That's what Jesus is teaching them. That you can't have this unforgiveness in your heart and being part of the kingdom of Christ and be effective witness for God with unforgiveness in, in our heart. And as God wants to bless and fully reward and use you in his kingdom, he said we must be people of forgiveness, not people of hate, not people of anger. And I can think of the forgiveness without, I can't think of forgiveness without mentioning when Jesus was upon the cross. Of all the things Jesus could have said on the cross, you remember the first words that he said? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Think about that. And Jesus prayed this to the scribes and the Pharisees who plotted against him. He prayed this for the Romans who had plucked his beard and, and, and pulled his hair and spit on him. He prayed this to those who had denied him, those who betrayed him, those who had done awful things to him, whipped him. And, and Jesus prayed for Pilate and Herod and all the sinners, even like you and to me. He took the sins of the whole world and he went to the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. Think about that. Now for us, when we think about things people have done for us, have we really suffered as much as Jesus did on the cross? Have we really suffered the pain and the agony that he would have faced? And yet he could say, Father, forgive them, but we have a standard higher than Jesus Christ. It, it doesn't make sense. Like he was telling him here in this, this story, it doesn't make sense. Another story of forgiveness that I love is Joseph. You know, in the Old Testament, you can get these great stories. And I don't know why so many preachers are moving away from the Old Testament. Because there's some great stories in the Old Testament. There's some great truth about God and about the character of God and how God works and deals with people. But you know, Joseph's brother came before him and uh, he, had this, uh, he, he, he had these brothers that got jealous of him and took him and threw him in a pit. And you know, he went back to their father and they lied and said he had died. But yet they had taken and sold him into slavery. And so he had went to this place and he was a slave and the man's wife went crazy. You remember that? And she accused him of adultery and yet he got busted for that. Even though he didn't do it, he got put in prison 
And as he was in prison, there was a butler and a baker in there. And one of them died and one of them lived. But he told him, uh, he recounted the, the dream that they had. And he said, I only have one request. If you ever get out here, don't forget me. Tell uh, somebody about me. And so he got out and surely... The guy forgot him. He forgot him. They were he, the Pharaoh had a had a dream to to uh, interpret, and the guy forgot all about Joseph until like three years later. He goes, "Oh yeah, I remember this guy that was in prison. That man, Joseph had a terrible time." But as Joseph, uh, as the story goes, Joseph becomes the second in charge over all of Egypt. And so a great famine had come to the land and no one could eat. And the nation of Israel was starving and they had nothing to eat. And they had to go to Pharaoh to beg for food. And, and yet Joseph had seen this uh, coming through a dream that God had given him, uh, an interpretation of a dream. And so they had storehouses of food ready for the famine. And so the people had to come to him to get the food or to be distributed food or they would die. And so as the story goes, here was Joseph, second man in line over charge of all the food. And here come his brothers. And his brothers came up to ask food for him, for them and his father and for their family. And as Joseph uh, begins to consider the story, he faced a stiff test. Was he going to forgive them or was he going to grab them by the throat and say, it's your time to pay? And I don't know if you've ever watched this or not, but there's a movie that portrays this and it really, really is a moving scene. And Joseph sets up a dinner and he gets his, he gets his, he gets his brothers in there and he has his brothers in there. And as he reveals himself to his brothers, he can't contain himself. He's overwhelmed with, with, with emotions of, of forgiving his brothers. And he tells them, he says, how can I not forgive you? You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good in my life. It wasn't based upon his brothers. What was the forgiveness based upon? God's goodness. He was based upon God's goodness. Even the price that he paid, he was willing to forgive because the work that God had done in his life. Over and over. I think of another story of a, just a layperson, uh, Stephen, who was the, one of the first deacons in the early church. If you remember, he was, uh, he was killed uh, by these unbelieving Jews led by a name, man named Saul, who would later become Paul in the Bible, dragged him out into the city and started to stone him. And his last words were, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Wow. Talking about a heart of forgiveness. Because he had experienced something with God that nothing else on this earth could do. And nobody else could do this forgiveness that he knew he had in his heart. And as he had this forgiveness, he extended it to others. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Us as Christians being forgiven by God, how do we extend that forgiveness to others? We are to extend it just as Jesus tells us. Not seven times, but seven times seventy. He says you are to have a pure heart to forgive your brother and sister in Christ and keep no record of wrongs. I'm going to pray. I know we're going to talk about this a little bit. We're going to move into our discussion time, but let's pray together.